I'm Lauren. And I'm Austin. And you're listening to Grace and Race. Where we tackle race in light of God's grace. Hey, everybody. What to do? We're back. Season two, episode two of our newest season. Let's do it. Maybe Austin will fall asleep. Maybe we won't. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I've gotten really good at sleeping without snoring. <laughs> no, nah, that's true. All right. So thank you for coming back. Thanks for being back with us. We have really enjoyed hearing from some of you guys this week that you've been listening um, and that you're excited about the second season, just like we are. We are super excited. We've got a lot of really cool ideas, but we would love to hear some ideas from you as well. So if you have any ideas or any topics, anything that you would like to hear about that you would like for us to chat about, please, please, please feel free to shoot us um, messages. Text us if you know us. Uh, We're both on Instagram, uh, Lauren two underscores Groves and Groves 8070 for Austin. And yeah, we would love to hear your ideas. We've done a ton of episodes so far that are based on things that you guys have sent us. So we really, we really do try to listen and try to put things out. If anybody um, asks, then we want to talk about it. So the other thing that you can do is you can go into Apple Podcasts and iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. That really helps um, other people see us and get to also join in on these conversations with us. And yeah, we would really appreciate that. Yes, please. <laughs> awesome. All right. So this week and next week, actually, we're going to do a little bit of a, I wouldn't really call it a mini series, but um Two podcasts that are separate but have a lot to do with each other as well. Um, so yeah, we're we are really excited to get these to you. We're going to be talking about some some stereotypes that are pretty broad, but also have some really specific and really terrible and really racist implications to those things. So. This week, we are going to be talking about the trope or the stereotype of the dangerous black man. And next week, we are going to be talking about the stereotype of the angry black woman. And I think it goes without saying, but um, those are not the only two stereotypes that exist. But they're just two that are pretty prevalent have a lot of sweeping implications and that I think you'll hear on this episode affect the day-to-day life of a lot of black people in our country and in our world. So yeah, we're going to dive into those two things. Austin, where do you think, like if you're just pulling out of a ballpark, where do you think the trope of a black man being dangerous came from? Originally, it's going to be tougher for me to pinpoint, but I I do know this was something that was spoken about and branded even during slavery. Mm-hmm. I do I do know that just <clears throat> the idea of how you make a slave. Remember, no one is naturally a slave. You have to enslave someone. And so ways that black people were enslaved, uh, they were treated as animalistic. And whenever you make someone into an animal, especially wild, you always, right, 
um, have that hint towards your kids or towards your loved ones to be careful, right? It's this wild gorilla metaphor, this, um, you know, this ape-like figure can be dangerous if you don't know how to work them right, if you don't know how to um, treat them um, in, in a way that, that dominates them and keeps them under control. So we saw that kind of tension and um, explanations that early. I, I, I do know coming to America was a huge, huge part in, in basically I think we need to save white women from black men, basically, the the big black brute. I know it, it had a lot of teeth there because I'm pretty sure it was really messed up. I'm pretty sure the way they ended was a white woman was about to get captured by a white dude playing like a black guy. Right. He was in blackface, I think. And she ends up, you know, jumping off the cliff and killing herself or something. I have to go. I need to go back. It's just been too long. Um, Can you explain that? I, I personally, and maybe I just lived under a complete bridge, under a bridge, is right. that? <laughs> under a rock? Yeah, That's what I was looking for. You say a brick. I was like, dang. <laughs> no, I was about to say a bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Under a rock. Um, will you explain what coming to America is to anybody who might not know? Yeah. So this would have been a film. Was it either? It was either funded by or basically apologist for the KKK. There was a lot of influence there. And this film uh, was showing, I'm pretty sure, the KKK in a very positive light. Um, they were the heroes. And, you know, anybody who knows history, uh, from especially from an objective standpoint, it's not hard to realize, no, they were terrorists. Uh, in a lot of ways, still are today. So, the hero thing is like, okay, for who? <laughs> who are they saving? Uh, and, and it's really, really terrifying and scary to think of it that way. So, yeah, this this film, uh, from what I can remember, and I think I watched a documentary on it. I can't remember if it was my freshman or sophomore year in college. But I remember saying, oh, my goodness, what is what is this? And understanding that it was a part of actually um, propaganda. It was propaganda, y'all, to to show the Southerns, uh, Southern whites, um, they're superior. Just the Negro is just superior and, you know, animalistic. Like I said, it's remember when you can animalize a human, it's so much easier to treat them poorly. It's so much easier to treat them poorly. Let me make a quick correction. It's not coming to America. It's birth of a nation. Oh, what did I say? Coming to America. Which, again, oh, I, I didn't realize. Oh, no. coming to America. Eddie Murphy. Ah! <laughs> people are listening to this like, like wow, I didn't realize. Me? That movie was about the KKK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming to America with Eddie Murphy was actually a spinoff. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what if I lie? <laughs> no, you're right. I'm so sorry. That's why I said I'm sleepy. Uh, it's birth of a nation. I'm so sorry, y'all. Forgive me. But this is why we fact check each other. This is great. Um, thank you, Lauren. We got to give the people the truth. Man, yes. Well, I actually, I did a little bit of uh, research today, and I, I am saying research because it doesn't honestly take that much research to be able to find kind of some of the origins of this trope, especially in our country, and it's exactly what you said, Austin. The idea, you know, especially whenever I think of, of Christians, I think of people who who should 
know the Bible, right? There has to be somewhere in there where people justify what they're doing whenever you have an institution like slavery that is so prevalent and so justified. And so um, if, you, if you take it back even further, there's, you know, this idea that slaves at the time that black image bearers were animals who need to be tamed who needed to be and so actually there was you know this idea that that slavery was doing doing black people good right it was this idea that oh we're helping them um because they're these like almost non-human kind of people and without us then they would just be x y and z and just horrible horrible thing to think and to say and to promote about about image bearers and untrue um yeah it's really hard to look at and then to think about and then to think about like man where would where would I have been in that if I were there anyways so then then you come out of slavery and you know after slaves were freed, kind of keeping up that idea of without, you know, without white people basically um, owning black people, then there was this need to keep fear alive, right? Um, probably for the sake of, of white people. And so then you have movies like birth of a nation then you have this idea that um that black men are out to get especially white women um then you have Emmett Till um and and probably so many more situations like that 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 we have never even heard about Austin can you explain the story of Emmett Till yeah so I mean Emmett was, I believe, young boy, was it Chicago? And I think he went down to Mississippi, actually. Dang. And down there, there was a dispute, uh, some kind of disagreement. Apparently, Emmett whistled at a white woman or... That was the story. Yeah, that was the story. They either said whistled or winked, you know, just something at a white woman. And there was a group of white men who apparently saw it or heard about it and they wanted to teach him a lesson and uh, perform one of the most gruesome murders that we've seen um, that's documented in our country. And it was based on race because it was uh, a black boy doing that to a white woman. So I know there was uh, in that evil, inhumane uh, event and and moment in time. I know for a fact they were taught, whether it was directly or indirectly, that you need to protect the white women. You need to make sure that black boys don't get any ideas. Mm-hmm. And and I understand just culturally that that was a part of the dynamic because that was what what was taught. Um, and now everybody didn't listen to it, but most people did not fight against it. That's the problem. I get everybody did not adhere to that in the time, but uh, most people did not speak up and out against that. 
and Emmett Till was a child. He yep. was he was 14 years old, and so it's not even like like I think I hear people say a lot, and and I've probably even said in the past, um, if I um, were to if I were to demonstrate any fear of a person, I like to tell myself that it's like, oh, it would be the same thing if it were a large white man walking behind me. Um, but Emmett Till was a 14-year-old child. And I think that, unfortunately, we haven't really seen that change a lot because we have, you know, people like Trayvon Martin. Tamir Rice. People like Tamir Rice. Elijah. We're going to get into this. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but but basically that idea continued into post-slavery, pre-civil rights era. And then even after civil rights, it it's just like we can write into law all day long that everyone is equal. But if this idea that somehow black men are our danger to society still is there, then we, there's no way we can be equal, right? Mm. There's no way we can have true equality there. So let me just, for the sake of being really transparent with you guys, um, Austin and I met in college. We met doing college speech, as I'm sure we've probably said 1,400 times um, on this podcast. But uh, whenever I was a freshman in college, one of our teammates did this – I want to call it a speech, um, but I want to be careful because I don't know that everybody on this um, who is listening necessarily knows this is not um, debate that I'm talking about, and it's not even really like a, a get up and give a speech kind of a thing. Uh, there are events in speech and debate that are more like competitive acting, and so this was one of those events, and it's called Poi, and it was a, our, one of our teammates who is a white woman and she did a poi that was on this topic. And I, I can't remember, like, the ins and outs of the whole speech, but I remember that there was this one character who was a woman in an elevator who a black man got on the elevator, and she clutched her purse. And I was actually just thinking about this recently. I think that that might have been the first, whenever I saw her, whenever I saw this, I think that, that might have been the first time that it really clicked in my head. I was like, oh my goodness, I think I have a racism problem. Because I, I went back to those moments. Like I've, that I had done that. I had, I had been there. I had been that woman. And, and I think if I'm honest with myself, I can still be that person sometimes. Which is really, t which is really, um, I know that that seems probably really like big to say publicly, um, because I have a black husband, right? Like the world would say, like, oh, you have a black husband, you have biracial kids, you can't be racist anymore, you can't have any racism hiding in inside of you in your heart, and I think. The thing is, is if we believe that racism is sin, like anything else is sin, we know that it is pervasive and that um, that 
we have to fight it. I don't know. That's, but what I'm saying is I think it could be really easy to think, oh no, I don't think that. But then whenever you go to like, what, like, what is this implication in our daily lives? I think that these ideas and these tropes and these stereotypes pervade um, our mindsets even more than we might give them credit. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because honestly, I didn't even know you were going to say all that because I think that's a huge step is just acknowledging and reflecting and just figuring out what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart. Mm. You, you got to be honest with yourself. You're never going to grow if you're lying. You're not, it's, it's a fake growth. So that honesty is much appreciated over here. Um, for sure. So thank you for saying that. And if y'all need to, if if you're hearing this and it's really hard to listen to, I always encourage y'all just pause real quick. Just pause it real quick. Pray, reflect. Like, it's okay. It's okay. You're okay. Um, God is still working in you, believer. Um, he loves you. Um, he's pursuing you. And he just wants to grow you in a deeper love. And, and that love is going to extend to your black and brown uh, fellow image bearer and black and brown brother and sister in Christ. So if y'all need to pause, take a minute, because I know that can be very heavy, especially looking inward, seeing how this sin impacts you directly. Uh, it flows from you directly. I get it. I get it. So uh, that's my little intermission, <laughs> I guess, hmm. permission, intermission, permission. Yeah. So I'm going to read a quote real quick that I have a question about Austin. So so this quote says, there's nothing more painful to me than to walk down the street and hear footsteps and start thinking about robbery than to look around and to see somebody white and feel relieved. Do you know who said that, Austin? No. Jesse Jackson. What? <laughs> yeah. So do you think that this stereotype, this trope, can impact like has it gone so deep that it impacts the black community as well like in the way that they that you see each other um yes yes i think so i always pause though too because there are certain contexts right Mm -hmm. um for example if you hear footsteps at night and you're in the hood at night, right? Yeah. And, and you turn around and you see a black person. That's going to be different than if you were in the suburbs and you hear footsteps turn around as a black person. It's just going to be different because especially if you've been robbed before uh, in the hood, right? And if it, that person that robbed you was black, you're going to have that kind of lens. You yeah. see what I mean? So it's just tough because – I don't like to say every instance is from the imaging and the the messaging, mm-hmm. but I do believe it permeates because I know uh, the under I understand the history of board of uh, Brown Board of Education. Mm-hmm. Remember how did that get turned? They had to witness those black babies talking about black dolls and calling them ugly, mm-hmm. and they were repeating the rhetoric that white people were spewing and were believing at the time. And so they were like, oh, crap. They hate themselves. It's not even just we hate, hate them. They hate themselves. And so they were like, you know what? Let's start integrating. They need to start getting used to each other. Mm-hmm. 
right? So I know messaging can definitely impact our community. I know it has impacted our community. I just struggle with saying that's the case every time. Right. No, that's helpful because I was really like, I, I, I too, I read the quote and then it like, and then I learned who said it. And so I was like, dang. And, and I remembered the Brown versus Board of Education thing, but I don't know. That's just, it's wild to me that it's like, and I, and it feels very, it's wild, but it also feels intentional. Mm. And I think that that is the, that's the scariest thing about all of that. So can you explain, we talked a little bit about Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Emmett Till. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, obviously like this isn't good, but can you explain why it can be a really dangerous stereotype? Well, whenever you're talking about uh, scary, some someone or something is scary, fear takes out logic. Y'all, the way our brains are wired, when emotions are running strong, and fear is one of the strongest emotions you can have. I mean, come on. Uh, one of my good friends, and uh, she's just a great role model. I look up to her so much. She always says, fear, false evidence appearing real. <laughs> she said, Every time she says fear, she says that, false evidence appearing real. And it, it can make just you do crazy things so because fear is so strong whenever people have that emotion and it's in a negative connotation is a negative emotion then are you expecting to give love and tenderness and peace and understanding and like all the good things especially christian the fruit of the spirit are you really thinking you're going to project that on a person if you're afraid of them no 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 you're going to revert to your flesh so whenever we make someone scary, quote unquote, expect the flesh to respond to them because we're not supposed to be afraid. God did not give us a spirit of fear, right? That's not from God. So whenever we're stepping outside of what God created and what he has for us, the way we treat people in that state is going to be disgusting. And then when you pack it on how disgusting it's been in our history, it just gets out of control. So, um, I, I, we've seen making people scary, just the negative effects throughout history. I mean, even recently, we every time we celebrate 9-11, it's just so tough because we knew, I knew, yeah, the nation came together briefly. It felt like white and black, but Middle Eastern Americans, oh, my goodness. Yeah. We made them scary. Oh, my gosh, those are the terrorists. Oh, my gosh, those are the towel heads. They're going to blow us up. They're going to shoot us. They're going to kill us. When you, And then what did we see? The hate crimes skyrocket mm. because it's like when you're afraid. You know, like, it's just, you're you're not going to act with the love of God, with the wisdom of God. You're not. You're going to be all up in your flesh. Um, and it's just going to eat you alive. And sadly, it ends up consuming your neighbor as well. That's such a good point of that unity around fear kind of mentality. And I think that that's kind of what, going back to the, the origins of all of this is we're, we're unifying around fear of these people in order to to have a better life for ourselves or to or to make this thing but we're doing it all at the expense of a human being and that's i mean that's still that's still what we do today whenever we justify our own racism by saying well insert stereotype here austin has there ever been a time whenever you were that you know of that you were perceived as dangerous or that like you have any experience with this personally 
Yeah, I've got a couple times where I've been perceived as dangerous. Uh, that was pretty impactful. I One story, hopefully this doesn't take out another question you had, is very interesting. It wasn't someone who actually was thinking about me. He was talking about the black community. I was actually at school. I'm a teacher. And a student said this to me in front of the class. It was uh, other students in the room. And we were talking, and he says, you know, Coach Groves, I hate to say it. Uh, we were having just intense discussions on what was going on politically. He goes, I hate to say it, but black people are just inherently more violent. That's just a fact. And the fact that he, not only that he would tell an adult that, his teacher that, that he would say it in front of others and not feel anything wrong with that statement. Because he's also one of the same kids that keeps quoting Martin Luther King Jr. It's fascinating. Don't judge by the content of, you know, uh, don't judge by the color of their skin, but the content of the character. He'd been singing that song all year. And then when it came to an intense debate, scratch that. You know what? Let's just look at the facts, Coach Groves. Black people are inherently more violent. And I had a great teaching moment with him. I said, really? He said, yes. Just if you look at the facts. I said, really? Okay. So what you're saying is, because I'm one of, mm, at that time, what I think I was one of two black males on staff at the school. I said, so by your logic, our security team should follow me around more often, right? The security camera should, should look and see where I'm at at all times, right? I think the, the, the campus officer needs to probably get his hand on his gun when he's around me, right? Because the probability of me being violent is so much higher than everybody who's white. And he was like, well, I'm not talking about you. I said, no, 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 you are, you are. And it's that mindset, you can't have it both ways. It's that mindset that black, oh, violence is because they're black. <laughs> that's, that's terrible logic and reasoning. Horrific logic and reasoning. And so that's why when I might get pulled over by an officer, his hands on the gun and not trying to listen to me first. That's why when I pull up at a school or at a store that's predominantly white, I have to put on a huge smile to show, hey, guys, I'm safe. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that person you saw on the news. Right. That's why these things happen is because they're it's a terrible, horrific stereotype because you're black you were more violent and if you actually look at the history of slavery and jim crow please if you walk away thinking black people are violent you you're really you're really looking at history through a, a, a terrible lens because the way that we were the way we were put together the way that we were forced to get on the ships the way that we were forced to come over here the the institution of slavery itself if you want to talk about violence, my goodness. I mean, you have lynching parties, people smiling, and then they would sell them as postcards. If you want to talk about violence. So it's like, how did we become the most violent, <laughs> like perceived as the most violent? And we had the most violence coming against us. Mm -hmm. And you'll see it through a whole lot of stereotypes. We're the laziest. Somehow we're the laziest. We're building the country, but we're the laziest. Right. They, they did this crazy, sick, demonic twisting and propaganda of 
yeah, we're going to brand you the very thing that we know you're not. And we're, and we're going to make people believe it. Oh, yeah, they're just sex crazed. They're black people. They're just sex crazed while black women get raped every day. It's like, what? How are you able to do that? It's because it's marketing. It's, it's propaganda. It's, it's, it's so demonic. It's so backwards. So I think that example resonates with me the most because this student who is super smart, I love, I love him. He said one of the dumbest things I ever heard in my life and did not see a problem with it. So kind of a follow-up question to that story. What would you say to someone who says, well, looking at, you know, the crime statistics from right now, it looks like, yeah, black people are the ones who are creating the most danger. What would you say to that argument? So one thing we have to look at, we have to look at, if, and this is why facts, the whole facts don't care about your feelings, Guys, facts don't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. Like, facts exist, and we're supposed to find the narrative around them. Like, have you heard of a case before? Right? Nobody goes by just facts. They put the story together. If you're trying to, like, say this person is guilty, you have to put a narrative together. You can't just spit the facts and then say, okay, my case is closed. Right? So, if I'm seeing, man, there's a lot of black people going to jail... Well, let's look at demographic. We do know that socioeconomic has to do with crime, and it makes total sense. The less you have, the higher probability you're going to try to get it in a way that does not uh, line up with the law. That's just that's how that works, right? We also know this. Those areas are more over-policed, mm -hmm. and police will not give two, three, four chances like they will in a suburb. I've been at parties, y'all, where I've love my white friends i mean they're over there smoking crack they kneecaps about to fall off and the cop comes in and says uh well you better be careful let's just just chill out and then with my black friends you smell one puff of weed they want to come in with the SWAT team it's like wait a second what is going on here and i get it i get it were those the same officers? Was it the same? I get what you're saying. What I'm saying is there is a double standard, and it's been here for a long time. It's been here for a long time, no matter what those officers were thinking, whether they were purposely trying to do that or not. It's been here a long time, that double standard. So look at the communities that are over-policed. Look at the communities that are have lesser so as far as socioeconomic. Add those things together. Research that as well. Look at those facts as well. It's not a, oh, because you have black skin, this is how you're going to act. That's what people don't understand. There are narratives. There are factors. We also know it's tough whenever there's a single-parent home. The chances of someone going to jail, single-parent home versus not, uh, versus a two-parent home, it's astronomical. It's crazy. So there are a lot of factors and i just it's just so sad when people say oh yeah it's because they black yeah they're black yeah that makes sense that's what they do they do that hood stuff they do that 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 gang stuff and it's like what are you talking like what are you talking about what are you talking about you got to do your research and you got to look up the narrative and and really if you're in close proximity and relationship with someone who's black who doesn't look and sound or who doesn't sound like you and act like you you'll you'll figure it out pretty quick I have also heard um, a lot of people say like, well, I had an experience with a black person yep. that just really, 
made me think like this. Why, why is that problematic to hold? Well, one, I want to say sorry, um, not on behalf of the black person, but I'm sorry that you went through a terrible experience. That is sad and that is scary. And not only that, and, and that's just like the devil, not only attacking you, uh, but now he's made a way for you to attack in return. You see what I mean? So now it's not just two parties hurt or one party hurt. It's two. Wow. You see what I mean? And that, that's, that's what the devil does. So one, I'm sorry. Please, please, please uh, hear me say that. Two, just know that person's color, right, it is not the problem. It's what that person did. It, it's what that person did. And where you're at geographically, I'm sure you might see, well, hey, there's a higher probability this will, a black person will hurt me like this or a white, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm here to tell you it's not because of the race, right? Mm -hmm. It's not. Um, if it were, if it were, our country would look a lot different. Our country would look a lot different uh, because it's this idea that if I get hurt by this person, that means that's just what they do. That means the opposite for the other race. So if black people are harmful, then that means you're going to trust white people more. Right. Mm -hmm. And what do we know? What do we know about crime? Crime is not specific to race. It's never been specific to race. Yeah. It's, I'm telling y'all, it's really, it's closer to money than it is, like, yeah. anything else. I really think it's closer to, and, and even that, there's racism in that, that people don't realize. Like, why are they in the hood right now? Have you, have you looked up the history? Why, why are they stuck here right now? You see what I mean? It's just, it goes on and on and on. And just, I just hope y'all have the patience to try to understand. Hmm. Yeah, and then I would just add, like, as just some practical, something practical to go along with that, which we are going to get even more into practical stuff, but just so we don't forget, I would challenge anyone who has that thought, who has that mindset, um, to just, first of all, kind of like Austin said earlier, take some time, reflect over that, pray over that. Sometimes we think things, and then whenever we hear them out loud, we're like, oh, my goodness. That, that's a lot heavier than I thought it was. That, I'm, I'm hearing, I've heard so many, I've heard myself say some things out loud before that I was like, wow, I didn't realize I was sinning until I said it to someone. Um, and so if you're in that place right now, then, yeah, I would just encourage you to go to the Lord with that first. And also, um, I would say, consider the fact that, yes, maybe, maybe you had a quote-unquote bad experience with someone. How many more good experiences have you had with black and brown people in your lifetime? Mm. And why is it that that one experience colored everything else and then here's what I would, else I would ask if you had that same experience with someone of your own race Ooh. would you be scared yeah. 
of everyone with your of your own race or would you use that as a as a reason to disassociate from people of your own race I think it's a I think it's a tough question and I think that probably most of us would say well no and and I think that that shows something that's deep in our hearts that maybe we weren't thinking about or weren't aware was there before that's wow yeah yeah what you just said that part so awesome what are some things that you feel like you have to do on a daily basis to quote unquote prove that you don't fit that stereotype man i did a poetry program on this called whistling vivaldi and it was the concept of black people who would whistle uh, antonio vivaldi just famous uh, composer musician because it showed a culture it showed a sophistication. Um, uh, y'all heard it, you know. I can't even whistle right now. My mouth's so dry, ugh, and I can't <laughs> sing, so I don't know why I did that to y'all. <laughs> Somebody probably just threw their headphones off. Like, what is that trash? What I'm is like, that bad? okay, sorry. That's how I feel. So <clears throat> I'm supposed to be nicer to myself. I'm sorry. So it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, whistling Vivaldi. So there's things that we'll do. We're going to, the, the way we dress, you know, I'm going to make sure my underwear isn't showing because, oh goodness, if that happens, I'm just, just the scum of the earth, right? Uh, that's how some people are going to treat me. I'm going to make sure that I'm smiling and I'm looking happy, even if I feel terrible, if I have been a freaking terrible day. And it hasn't really been until this last year where I'm like, you know what? I'm too tired. When I'm mad, I'm just going to look bad. Like, that really just happened this last year <laughs> because I just, I'm too tired. I'm just tired now, and I can't keep doing it. And so, yeah, dress is a big one. Speech is a big one, the way we talk. Oh, yes, yes, ma'am, I'm having a great day. How are you? You know, you're you're not going to sound like you're in slang. So whenever you have the speech aspect and the looking and the the smiling, the aesthetic, you want everything to make white people feel comfortable. You're going to talk about jokes and pop culture and every you know, music, like everything to just make white people feel more comfortable with you. And it's 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 pretty exhausting when you especially when you don't genuinely feel that way, especially in a moment, right? Sometimes I don't want to speak in perfect English. I just want to talk the way I want to talk. And I'm going to let it go any way I want it to go. If you feel me, you feel me. If you don't, you don't. Period. That's how I feel sometimes. And I would rather talk that way. But there are moments where I'm in public or I'm, I'm in this place and we feel like we have to code switch and switch over, boom, to this, to this quote unquote white side, even though it's not white. Great English is not white. But it's been adopted and it's been proclaimed white. Therefore, if we're going to try to get respect of white people, we have to sound like their quote unquote stereotype, which ironically, usually white is a positive connotation in our country. That's such a good point. And I think that one thing to note, one thing that I would encourage my white people who are listening is when we affirm that we are made comfortable by those things. So what I mean is when we compliment some, the way that someone talks or that we are, are extra complimentary of someone who dress what we perceive is more white. 
whenever we are quicker to affirm those things just because they make us more comfortable, then we do two things. We perpetuate that stereotype in their own in our own hearts is that this is safe. This is this is what we should be looking for. And we perpetuate that stereotype in the heart of the person that we're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we say, because the thing is, is one thing that I've learned, Austin, you speak differently whenever you're around a group of white people versus a group of black people. Mm. Um, it, it's something that I like, I, started noticing whenever we were dating but it it makes me feel like dang which one is the real austin and i know which one is the real austin um and it makes me sad that that you feel like you can't necessarily do that and i get there are different contexts in different places like we we do probably all speak a little bit differently when we're around people who yeah. we're comfortable with. So yeah. that's not what I'm saying, that that right. doesn't apply. But I think that the implications of why right. you speak differently are very different for you than it would be for me. Does that make sense? That's, that's fire because we, everybody has the telephone voice, right? Even right. white people talk about it. It's so funny. Like, your mama might be sounding, even if, like, you know, if she's country or something, like, country, country, country. But when she talks on the phone, hello? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, because you're trying to sound pleasant and pleasurable and, like, hey, I'm more trustworthy. Like, there's there's psychology to it. The problem is, our psychology is reflect whiteness. Yeah. You're not thinking, let me sound white. Right. You're trying to make me th- let me sound attractive. Yeah. In our brains, it's, we need to sound white. Yeah. Even though we know English isn't white. Like, right. the idea of speaking good English is not why anybody can speak good English. It doesn't yeah. matter what your race is. Yeah. Right? That's not what to do. But we understand the history. and we under, We're not going to ignore the context. Mm. Okay. So, why should Christians specifically, if we're talking to Christians, why should Christians fight against this stereotype? This stereotype is fundamentally evil and this stereotype should not exist for any people group in the world right in the world because our commission the great commission was going out to find see right find people teach them not preach at them teach them about the kingdom of god If we know we're sinful in our nature and there's a group of people that are, quote unquote, scary, what's the probability of you going over them to teach them and to love them and to serve them and to sacrifice for them? What's the probability if they're, quote unquote, scary? Mm -hmm. A lot lower. So this stereotype is in direct contradiction to go out to all nations all people groups go across the world jesus said we totally ignore that when we let this thing continue to have breath and continue to breathe air we have to kill it because we should do that and kill that for any group of people depending on the color you know based on the color of their skin Hmm. yeah and i would just add that this is a form of slander This is speaking evil, perpetuating something that is not true about people, about 
about people who are made in God's image. And just to be really clear on what the Bible says about slander, um, we've got James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 1 Peter 2.1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and evil and all slander. Ephesians 4.31-32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God and Christ forgave you. Mm. And then another thing that you hit on, Austin, was loving one another and, and even protecting one another, right? Like if we know that this is a stereotype that is that is dangerous for for black men specifically if we're talking about but just anyone like you said anyone who might have that kind of a stereotype on them um we know that the bible calls us to bear one another's burdens and to protect one another whenever something might be dangerous so philippians 2 4 says look each of you not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Um, we are called to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. And when we look at a group of people and we think that they're automatically dangerous, that is not what we're doing. Um, in fact, it's the opposite. And these are reminders that like this is probably not something that you wake up in the morning and think, wow, I really think that this group of people is presenting major harm to my life today. But it might be clutching your purse on an elevator. It might be turning around and being relieved whenever you see that a white person is walking behind you instead of a black person. It, it could look a lot of different ways. It might just be the way that you, listen, this is, this is scary. I, I really hope that I do not ever do this. It might be pulling your child in a little bit closer whenever there is a black man coming coming close to you. What does that communicate to your child? Like, how is that teaching your child who they should be scared of? Mm. Right? That's it, I. It's it's it, they're not things that we do consciously, but they are things that we have to consciously fight, or else they will just continue to live and breed inside of us and go on to the next generation too, mm. and that's. That's scary. We got to put this to death right now, right in this generation. It has lived so far and it's created problems for every single generation of, of black people who are living in this country and it's created sin in a lot of hearts. And so we got to stomp that and we got to put that to death. So Austin, last question, how, like, what are some tangible ways, what are some things that we can do to fight this stereotype, like, starting right now? Stop looking at black people who make you feel comfortable as the good ones or the exceptions to the rules. Stop that, stop that. Think about argumentation. If your argument is black people are inherently dangerous, they're, or inherently more dangerous. How about that? How about that? And you see a black person who obviously is not dangerous. It could be a celebrity from afar. It could be someone close. Use that as logic in your brain and say, man, that's not true. Me thinking because someone's black that they're dangerous, that's just not true. That's not, that's not 
a good thing to think because this person is an example of that. Doesn't mean they're good. Doesn't mean that they're perfect. What it means is they're proving to you that this stereotype is not true. So it's easy to think, man, this person is just an exception to the rule. I would not say that. Don't use them as an exception. Use them as proof mm. that what you were thinking was false. Does that make sense? What you were thinking was false. That's what's going to be more helpful and conducive. I think another thing, the biggest thing for me, especially for the believers, understand your history. Look up the history. Mm. When have When you look up your history and you know how black people have been branded in this country for so long, are you sad about that? Does that, does that hurt your heart? Does it make you upset? Does it make you angry? If you have no negative response or emotion to something so disgusting and vile, that's where we got to start. It's asking God for those real, raw, genuine emotions. Let your love be, what did this text say? Genuine. God doesn't want a bunch of fake, you know, activists coming out here who don't really feel it and don't see it and just spewing stuff. He doesn't want that. He wants you to genuinely weep with those who weep, to genuinely rejoice with those who rejoice. So we keep neglecting the emotional aspect of this. It's when we're in our spirit. Man, the spirit gives us the perfect emotions for the perfect time. And if we're not sad or mad that this is happening, that's where we got to start, in my opinion, is asking God, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I, I have a lot of white brothers and sisters who love saying that, but they don't want to apply it to race. <laughs> they say that quote all the time. Break my heart for what breaks yours, Jesus, except for justice. I'm like, dang. If you just take what you know spiritually about God and apply it to race, man, think about all the healing you'll be able to help people with. Think about all the service. Think about all the the, the love. That's what this is about. That's why we do this podcast because we we don't want white guilt. We think that's from the devil. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm white and it's so bad. And why why did Jesus make me white? Are you serious? That's not the problem. It, it's your crusty heart. It's our crusty hearts. That's the problem, right? It's not the race, y'all. It's, it's what we do with it and how we worship it and, and, and elevate others over, over others. That's the problem. So I just want you to know that's one of the reasons why we do grace and race. Do not fall into that thinking. I mean, I get conviction, definitely, if you feel convicted or maybe even a strong passion to correct and rewrite some wrongs. I, I get that. But the guilt of hating yourself and, you know, questioning your identity, ah, God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to stop being white. He wants you to use that to help build his kingdom. How can you use that to help be a bridge and to bring people in that in the history of the nation, people of your hue did the exact opposite. God wants to rewrite uh, and dispel, right? undo the text says the works of the devil mm -hmm. so he doesn't want to undo, undo your whiteness he wants to undo <laughs> the, the the damage that might have been done while people were white so just keep that in mind and i think it'll encourage you you gotta emotionally feel this and there's no better person to go to than god mm -hmm. one quick thing that i want to add on that white guilt thing yes and amen to everything that you just said and also i think that it's important to 
recognize that sometimes, and maybe this is a another episode. Let us know if you think that we could or should do a whole episode on this. But I'm just going to hit a quick point in that there are times that we are, we don't have, we don't, stand in guilt before God because of white sin, right? Mm. Or white skin. We stand in guilt before God because of sin. Yes, yes, that's a good point. And also, there are some things, there are sins that I'm going to struggle with yeah. more yeah. because of my own context, that's right? Fair. And we we know that about a lot of things, that's right? Fair. If I'm born into a family, which I wasn't, love you, mom and dad. Um, if I'm born into a family that lies, right, that cheats, that tries to get ahead on things, and I see that, I grow up with that, that's probably going to be a sin that I have to fight a little harder, right? If I'm, there there are just certain situations, there are contexts that we get placed into that we might even get born into um, because we are born into a broken, fallen world where we are going to have to fight certain sins harder than others, right? We know that. We, we know that with a bunch of other sins. And so why do we think that we will not have any anything to fight within us whenever it comes to racism? I think that that's probably the case with racism. I think that especially for white people who are in America, it's it's not – because like our white skin doesn't make us sinful, right? Our white skin was given to us by God. Um, just like all everyone else's skin was given to them by God. Um, we, because of our context, we might have to fight this sin with some extra oomph. So, um, I would just really encourage you to do that. Really encourage you to take a look deep look in, into your heart. And again, this is going to have to be something that we are fighting um, for a long time. Last thing, get in community with people. We have um, we have said this point a thousand times. Um, don't use your black friends, right? Don't, don't um, only use them in order to somehow like make yourself feel better. But at the same time, like, especially if you have people who are in your lives, who are in your churches, who are in, like, who are there, like, get in community with people. Not necessarily for any kind of motive, but just, beca- like, just because. Because you want to learn how to love everyone better. Um, and if you don't have any black people in your community, if you are only around white people, I would seriously challenge you to take a look at why why that is, right? Um, and maybe consider switching it up a little bit. Yeah. That's what I'll leave you with. I think the best way to – we don't often fear the things that we know. Mm. And I think that that's probably the best way to take some serious steps. Yeah toward um killing this sin that lives inside of us those are beautiful points and 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 that's what lauren said it so beautifully just keep reminding yourself just like god made you white god made me black and god made someone brown and god made so he made us those things don't 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 make yourself lesser so you can feel more holy Mm -hmm. that's not making you holy that's 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 just oh 
that's not going to work. And I get so passionate about it because I see it fail people all the time. Yeah. They just hate themselves. They, they, they're scared to talk. There's just no love. It's just all fear. And it, it's not what God calls us to. So just understand, just like God made you white, he made us different hues and colors too for his glory and our collective good. So when race starts to bog you down, it's because you're not seeing the fruits. And the blessings that God has provided with the different colors and the different shades and the different cultures and the different creeds. It, trust me, it's going to look beautiful, Revelation 7-9. It's going to look the best it's ever looked. But guys, we got some glimpse of beauty along the way. And we need to have our eyes open to that too. Thank you guys so much for listening. And yeah, we'll chat with you again next week. Peace.